So we're finishing up a series today called The Jesus Way that we've been in for the last five weeks where we've been talking about the importance of forgiveness in our life. Not only receiving forgiveness, but also becoming people of forgiveness. And that it's forgiveness that has the power to impact and change this world forever. In fact, it's the only thing that does and can. But as we begin, I want to begin in the book of Ecclesiastes with part of a passage that you've probably heard many times quoted. But I want to read, um, just kind of give you the, the fill and the context of it. First, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I should say, this is the first reading. It's from Ecclesiastes, not first Ecclesiastes. There's a second. Um, sorry. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and it sets. It hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north and round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye has never, never has enough of seeing, the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It, is already, it was already here long ago. It was here before our time. I wonder if you've ever felt the wisdom of Solomon in your life. There, there's really nothing new. Tomorrow is going to be a repeat of today. We're going to wake up tomorrow. We're going to get dressed. We're going to go through our routine. And it's going to look just like today looked. And you look in your life and you see the brokenness that surrounds us. You see hurt. You see despair. And you think, well, this is how it's going to be. The rivers, they flow into the sea. They never get full. Each day happens and it looks like the day before. Every single day is just a repeat and it's all kind of meaningless. I'm sure for most of us we've felt those moments where it just, this is how it's going to be. This is how life is. Today, tomorrow, they are the same. They don't change. And the pain and the hurt I experienced in the past is going to be here tomorrow. It's not going to leave. It's not going to go away. It's just this endless cycle that we're stuck in, and there is no way out. In the scriptures, you see this pattern of constant exile, exodus, and return. And the fear is that today will be like yesterday. The fear is that you wake up tomorrow... 
And tomorrow will simply be a repeat of the day before. And the hurt and pain that was there will still be there. It's not going anywhere. It's going to stay by your side. It's not going to leave. It's constantly whispering in your ear. I would imagine most of us have felt the weight of that at some point in our life. Through the loss of someone we care about, through a divorce, through a death, through the loss of a job, through a time of uncertainty where money was tight, where money was scarce. And we wonder how the cycle is ever going to change. And for thousands of years, people are set here with this waiting and this wanting and this curiosity. Can everything, can it ever be different again? And into this world, a world in exile, a world wondering, a world waiting, the prophet Isaiah says this. See, I am doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I don't know about you, for a people who is searching, a people who is hurting, a people who is longing for something different, that sounds hopeful. For a people stuck with Solomon's wisdom, that today is going to be like the day before. There's no way out of this cycle. It's death and decay over and over and over again. To hear these words of the prophet Isaiah, behold, I'm doing something new. I'm going to do something new that you haven't seen before. Can you not sense it? Can you not feel it rising up within you? Can you not see it bubbling up under the surface of this world that something different is going to happen? But these people who received this message from Isaiah spend the next 700 years waiting for some semblance of this prophecy to come true. 700 years. And you think your wife took a long time to get ready for dinner last night. 700 years of waiting. Generations waiting for things to be different than they were before. How in the world will this change? Where is this new thing that you're doing? Where is it going to rise up? Where is it going to happen? And then John tells his Easter story, his story of resurrection. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and I don't know where they have put him. See, a world that is waiting. This seems like everything that has happened before will continue to stay the same. We thought this Jesus was going to be different, but he died like everyone else. He found himself in the tomb, and our hope died with him. And then comes the morning. It comes the morning, this morning that was still in darkness. 
for a world still in darkness. A world looking for light, looking for hope, looking for something to be new, for something to be different. Looking for Solomon's wisdom to fall apart. Where there's something new. Something better. Something that screams hope into the darkness and brings light. You see, John began his gospel in a very similar way to the Bible's beginning in Genesis. He says in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through Him was all things were made. And without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that light was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome. And skipping down to verse 14, he says this, The Word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. God becomes flesh. And in Genesis 1, the word is spoken over the world. And light comes into the world. But in John's gospel, the word enters the world. And the word brings light once again. And John is setting up for you his new creation. And the way John unfolds his story is just mind-blowing. And I want to kind of just back up for just a second and go up to about 35,000 feet and look at the book of John. Because something powerful happens in John's telling of this Jesus resurrection story. The very first sign, the very first miracle he does is at a wedding in Galilee where he turns water to wine. But I want you to listen to how this miracle ends. John says, what Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. So you read, this is the first of the signs through which Jesus revealed his glory. Now, if you're a good student of the word and you're simply wondering Okay, well, this is the first sign. What would probably your next question be? If there's a first sign, perhaps is there a second sign? I'm so glad you asked. At the end of chapter 4, you find another miracle that Jesus performs. As Jesus heals an official son. And it ends this way. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So you have a second, and what John calls him is sign. It's pointing to something. And then in the next chapter, you have a healing of a pool. Healing at the pool. Of a man who was paralyzed, a man who was lame. Then in chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Then in the end of this chapter, Jesus walks on water. And if you're counting, this is the fifth sign. 
And then in chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who is blind, which is the sixth sign. And then in chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, which would be seven signs. And at the end of chapter 11, the signs stop. They don't appear anymore in the text. It's almost as if the signs correlate with the number of days in a week. Because there are seven days in the week and there are seven signs that John records. And you wonder, well, well, aren't there more miracles that Jesus performs? And John says, yes, I'm I'm really glad you asked. (laughs) Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written... That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So there's a lot of other things that Jesus does. There's a lot of other miracles. There's a lot of other signs. But I'm taking these seven signs to point to something very significant. Because I want you to see through these seven signs... That Jesus is the Son of God. And that through believing in Him, you can have life in His name. Now, why is it so significant that there are seven signs in seven days in a week? See, if you ask me, this starts to look a lot like Solomon's wisdom. Everything is the same. Day after day, week after week, year after year. There are seven signs. And we see these things perform. We see them happen. But what's the significance? But what John does so beautifully is he points to an eighth sign. So there's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then the signs stop. They stop until you come to the place of an empty tomb. And what John wants you to see here is not the start of a new week. He wants you to see the start of a new world. Through this empty tomb. The things that have always been will not always be. There is a new day coming. Because the God is doing something new. The sun has risen out of the darkness, and a new day is born. So with all this in mind, and what John is trying to convey to you, there is a foot race between Peter and John to the tomb. As one points out, one is faster than the other. And Peter and John look into the tomb, And they see the empty tomb and they leave, leaving Mary there by herself. So picking up in verse 11 of chapter 20. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. 
And as she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Now listen to this. This is, this is John, like as, as big and bright of a sign as he can give you. Thinking he was the gardener. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. What John wants you to see is not just a new day that is unfolding, but a new world. A new world that begins just like the old one in the garden. It is only in the garden that a tomb can become a womb. That a tomb can become something that gives life into this world. That breathes hope. That speaks of something new happening in this world. That Solomon's wisdom at some point falls apart. That what has been will always be. And the way things have been, where death and decay and destruction always get the last word, is not the way it has to be because, behold, I am doing something new. By speaking into this world through my word and bringing life out of the grave. Which brings up some, some observations. Because you wonder, okay, well, so John, if this is so big, if this is so important, then why does this matter to me? It matters because the curse enters the world through the garden, and the curse is defeated in the garden. It matters because forgiveness is the only way that tomorrow can be different than all the days before. It matters because the sun is risen and a new day is born. A day that will be different from all of the other days before. A day where sin and death do not get the last word. A day where we see imperfect people keep messing it up. And God keeps redeeming, and to borrow from Matt, keeps redeeming and making the, the bad good. Bringing life. From death. We live in a world that has learned this rhythm that tomorrow will be like today. And there is no hope of that changing. If you think back for this generation, 
Think back the last 20 years. They've seen homeland security developed out of a need to defend our nation. We've been through two recessions. There's political unrest and instability. There is national conflict. And if you watch the news, the picture you get is tomorrow will be much like today. Nothing is going to change. And it's into this darkness, it's into this despair that we get news of an empty tomb. An empty tomb that points not to a new day, a day that was like all the other days before, but a new world that has been recreated through the Son and recreated through these words, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. See, the Son has risen and a new day is born. And out of the darkness steps the light of the world. Now there is a new way. The Jesus way. And I wonder just what the church could be going forward. Because it's so easy to fall into that wisdom of Solomon. Today is like all of the days before. But if we truly believed that God is doing something new in this world, and through the power of his spirit, he is changing and transforming us to be a light in the darkness, what would happen? But what would happen if we really believed the hope of Jesus, that there is an empty tomb? What would happen if that message got a hold of us and transformed and changed us? Would it be something different in this world? Would it be something new? Would it be something refreshing and something life-giving? Would this world be different because this church had Jesus inside it? I don't know about you, but there are times that that despair and that feeling of today is going to be like every other day grips me. It grabs a hold of me, and it makes it really hard to imagine that there's something better. that there's something more that we could be. Because I see a church who is passionately following Jesus and being transformed into his image. I see a church who is deeply concerned with the loss And seeing thousands of people every single year submit their life to King Jesus and be baptized into his name. I see a church that is so diverse 
that it has become a great multitude of every tribe and nation and tongue. I see a church whose passionate and heartfelt worship is touching heaven and changing earth. I see a church who is pleading and praying for God's spirit to fill their lives and empowering this church to be a light in the darkness and bring hope and healing in Jesus' name into the darkness of this world. I see a church that is innovative and creative, full of singers and poets, prophets and preachers, artists and innovators, thinkers and dreamers who believe God is doing something new through His people, His body, the church. I see a church that is so integral in the life of the community that its neighbors would be devastated if the doors of this place ever closed. I see a church who Jesus says the gates of hell will not stand against. It does not matter what kind of church I see or imagine. The only thing that matters in the end is what kind of church we're literally willing to give up everything to become for the sake of the gospel. But here's what I believe. That church that I see is this church 10 years from now. Because I believe the power of what we have partnered with God to do in our 2030 vision is what God is going to do, not to change Tyler, not to change our neighborhood or our state, but what God is going to do to empower us to change the world. Because out of the empty tomb steps the light of the world. Light bringing hope into the darkness. And the darkness cannot withstand it. In John, he's John's light of the world. And he wants to see a new day is here. Not just a new day like all the days before. But a new world that has been created. That has been formed through forgiveness. This is John's light of the world. And everything in all of Scripture points to Jesus, Messiah. In Matthew, he is Messiah. In Mark, he is the wonder worker. In Luke, he is the son of man. In John, he is the son of God. In Acts, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In Romans, he is my justifier. In Corinthians, he is my sanctifier. In Colossians, he re or Galatians, he redeems us from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he's the Christ of unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he provides according to his riches and glory. In Colossians, he is the fullness of the Godhead. In Thessalonians, he is the coming king. In Timothy, he is the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he is the faithful pastor. In Philemon, he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he is the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, 
He is the good and perfect gift. And Peter, he is the great shepherd of the sheep. In 1 John, he is love. In 2 John, he is love. In 3 John, he is love. In Jude, he is the Lord coming with 10,000 of his holy ones. And in Revelation, he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. And that is the God we believe is doing a new thing in this world. And he invites you, he invites me to join him as he does something new. Father, today, on this Easter Sunday, we find hope that the tomb is empty. We find hope that tomorrow does not have to be like all the days before. There is a new way, a way that leads to life, a way that leads to forgiveness, and it is through Jesus. There is a new way. The Jesus way. Father, we follow you. We love you. We pray that you would make us the church that you imagined us to be. And Father, may we bring the good news of the gospel into a world of darkness, broken, hurting, and searching for Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.